Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about prayer. From the very beginning, Jesus' followers asked, asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? And to this day, Christians are still asking the question, how do we pray? So we're going to start off by talking through the original Lord's Prayer, the example that Jesus gave us for how to pray. And then we'll end the podcast with our own practical advice and some things to think about when we pray. So, uh, Daniel, let me hand it over to you. Why start off with the Lord's Prayer? I, I like the softball question, Michael. Uh, probably because Jesus tells us before stating the Lord's Prayer, this then is how you should pray. So um, from the mouth of the Messiah, we already know this is a good model prayer, and um, we should probably be looking at it for some sort of guidance. Now, what, uh, how we use the Lord's Prayer, that's more up for debate. A lot of Christians, that's the first prayer that they learn, and they use that prayer verbatim out of Matthew usually, though, um, as we were talking before the podcast started, there is a, a different version in Luke. Um, so some people will use that exact version and they'll, and they'll recite Jesus's words as their own words. Other people, uh, maybe what's more common is to look at that prayer and to look at the different themes of that prayer and its structure and use that structure to make your own prayer. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can use the Lord's Prayer, um, and certainly all of those ways are good ways to be using it. Uh, Stephen, um, what are some initial thoughts that you have on the Lord's Prayer for its usefulness, um, both as just reciting it or using it to structure your own? How do you use the Lord's Prayer? Well, what do we need to make of the who came up with the acronym ACTS, A-C-T. They had the audacity to say, okay, that's nice that you the model prayer, but this is how you should really pray. Because I, I learned both about the same time uh, that uh, the ACTS model of prayer, uh, which stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, uh, that that those are the things that you should try to encompass or uh, include in your prayer. And so I really feel like it was just straight up stolen from uh, the Lord's Prayer. Because where does it start? With uh, hallowed be your name, God. You're praising God. Um, and forgive us, uh, asking for forgiveness, uh, confession. Uh, Thanksgiving and is, would be included in, uh, give us our uh, daily bread, possibly. I, I don't think necessarily Thanksgiving is, uh, specifically used in the Lord's Prayer, but it is something that, um, I would say 90% of the prayers that, uh, people say are, uh, saying thank you for this, thank you for this, uh, thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Um, and we really uh, lose uh, the content that comes along with the other three. And uh, uh, supplication is, you know, just asking for the things that you need. Um, and that, as far as that aspect of prayer goes, we we thank God for things uh, and ask Him uh, 
to help us with uh, our troubles and trials, but as far as asking for material needs, usually we already have them. And maybe that's because we live in the USA. I don't know if we have people in third world countries that have access to podcasts, but I'm sure they are a lot better about praying for needs than we are. And we just assume that those are going to be given to us, uh, which is a bad attitude to have as a Christian, just to assume that your um, your next meal is waiting for you around the corner. Um, but having said that, Christ also tells us that we don't need to worry because God is going to take care of us. But does that mean we don't need to pray for those things? By no means. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, that that's an easy way to break down the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but, Michael, do you want to give us some more insight into uh, why Jesus prayed those things and how did he create that model prayer? Sure. So um, would it be let, let's spend a little time going through here and, and looking at the construction. Uh, first thing you have to note is that this prayer comes right in the middle of a sermon. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses f- 5 through 15 is the full context for, for prayer, but the, the prayer itself comes in verses 9 through 13. Um, so Jesus is giving a lot of different uh, commands, teachings, uh, ways of living a transformed life uh, for, for the people that were following him. Um, and the first two things that he says before he even gets into the body of the prayers, first of all, don't be, you know, be not as the hypocrites. Don't be public in your prayers. Uh, don't, don't pray for the attention of others. Pray only for the attention of God. And second, um, don't use a lot of words. When you pray, keep it short. Um, or don't be ornate in your words. It doesn't necessarily have to be short, but it, you don't need to use flowery language because, uh, as we learn later and in, in, believe in Romans, it's the Holy Spirit that does the interpreting for us, that, that, that takes the words and gives the, the meaning that we need to God. Um, then, as Daniel, as you said, uh, starting in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. And he gives kind of these short phrases uh, that we that will lead through. Um, let's take it just a little by, by little and maybe just a minute on each couplet. Okay. Daniel, what are, you, what are you thinking? Before you do that, I think we should go through each of those couplets. Um, I, I want to be clear, uh, you were hinting at this, that that's really what Jesus is doing here. While Jesus does give us a structure for prayer that is still used to this day, and rightfully so, um, the intent in giving the Lord's Prayer is to give an example of a short prayer, a prayer that's not gaudy. That's not um, ornate. And so he gives this quick prayer that um, gets your your necessities in a prayer, uh, has your the different form or the different uh, different things that need to be included, your praise, your thanksgiving, your supplication, stuff like that um, in this very short form. Um, but anyways, I, that's the background for it. Michael, you were obviously hinting at that. But well, yeah, let's go. I- I think that just the things that Jesus captures within this prayer shows the simplicity of life and what our purpose here on earth is to serve God within his kingdom, praise God, worship God, and that we are 
part of this world and we just need the uh, what it takes to get by and um, and the struggles that we have as people uh, help us through those Lord so that we can keep that relationship with you that we can keep praising you and that's it that, that's all we're here for and when we get lost in all the other things uh, I mean Jesus didn't pray for those who are sick or traveling um, uh, so should that but let's not get into uh, that discussion Michael go ahead and take us where you were going okay so uh, let's start off with the rest of verse 9 so pray then like this he says our father in heaven hallowed be your name uh, just a first point of comment um, the word hallowed is not a common word uh, unless you're reciting the Gettysburg Address uh, you're not often using the word hallowed um, hallowed means sacred it means holy it means set you know set apart special that this name is not to be taken lightly so when we enter into your presence God to pray to you um, we not only say that your name is holy because it is uh, but at the same time, we're praying that it would be holy, that we would make it holy. Um, so it's it's a recognition of what is and what hopefully will become as we live into uh, what uh, the Father wants us to be. Uh, what else are you all seeing in that, that first, those opening lines? Um, uh, going along with our point of simplicity that uh, Steve and I were talking about, is it, it's important for listeners if if you're not already aware um sometimes when translators make these english translations of the bible if a phrase is so common in christianity they will leave it uh exactly as it is just as people are familiar with it um so blessed be the poor in spirit that may have a better English translation, um, but people are so familiar with the phrase blessed be the poor in spirit that they just leave it like that. The same thing is applies essentially to this entire prayer. So it's important to know hallowed is a weird, uh, very uh, sort of ornate word that we don't use a lot. Um, but Jesus isn't trying to use special language here. It, um, our English translation just keeps this special language because uh, it has a lot of Christian tradition in it, um, but like Michael is saying, it is just uh, it's just Jesus saying, "Your name is holy," um, and let it be. Along with saying that all the translations were this section of scripture the same for the most part. Yeah, a lot of translations just have it. It's ninety percent the same. Not dogging on you, but that is good to know. Um, do you want to speak to the places where it does differ from translation or were you going there? I, I was not. Um, I mean, that's really just because So they are translating it afresh every time. Uh, and there's plenty of translations that don't use the word hallowed. Uh, but it's because the language is familiar, they want to keep it there. But they... they are surely feeling free to change it up in a few ways, give their own twists, but um, it's certainly more similar to how you found it in the King James than any other part of, uh, if you look two chapters later in Matthew, they're going to change it up a lot more than they did in this section. 
just a quick look through uh, Bible Hub. Uh, New Living Translation, may your name be kept holy. Christian Standard Bible, uh, your name be honored as holy. Uh, contemporary English, uh, help us to honor your name. Um, so your uh, less uh, word-for-word translations are getting away from hallowed. Um, but for the most part, hallowed is is one of one of the standards. It's certainly not all of them. That in the King James version also adds in the part um, at the end. Say it again. The part at the end for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, it's actually right in the middle uh, uh, at the end of verse thirteen. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you... No, yeah, you're, you're correct. That's because the King James is using a, uh, using poor manuscripts that have brought in a later church tradition. But let's not get into that. Let's talk yeah, more about prayer. That is interesting. Um, what, one more thing I'll say about just verse nine, then let's move on to the first part of, uh, or to, to verse 10. Um, Jesus is calling Yahweh, Elohim, Father, Abba, our, our Abba, our, our close Father. You know, he's close, but he's in heaven. So it's, it's this, uh, these two seemingly contradictory ideas, but he brings them together. Our Father in heaven. So. Um, all right, so verse 10, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, let me hand it off. What do you all think first? Uh, I have, a, again, I need to condense myself. I have a lot of thoughts on this verse. This is a really important verse for understanding really the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, but for our purposes here in the prayer, I think uh, that things to keep in mind are kind of like what we were saying with uh, how be your name is both a statement of what is um, that uh, we're recognizing God's kingdom, but we're also asking, we're trying to uh, recognize that God is bringing his kingdom to the world, but we're asking to be a part of that process. And um, we're, we're hopefully uh, bringing the kingdom through our own actions and through our, our uh, presence here on earth. Um, it is important to remember as well that this is about bringing the kingdom to the earth. It's not about um, uh, a heaven that is distant. It is about um, heaven coming down to the here and now um, before the afterlife. Daniel, following up, following up on that, um, you know, we're four, we're five lines into the prayer and we have not asked God to change his mind to, to do anything different. We were asking God to change us. Yeah. You know, right. kingdom come, so I the, think that the, the kingdom part, uh, is really setting the mindset about what your attitude is. Right. Of how you're approaching God and going back to the, the, uh, how you're addressing God, I think it's interesting to know whether or not Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. It's not how I pray, but this is how you should pray. Uh, maybe there's some room for debate there, but uh, he is revering the Father. 
when you go to the Father, this is you approach Him and in the attitude of and when you start to when you come to the Father for your needs, you need to make sure that you're asking for needs that are in line with God's mm-hmm. kingdom and right. will being done. Right. Stephen, that is an excellent point. Verses nine and ten have to come before 11, 12, and 13. And obviously for sequential purposes, but more importantly, because if your mind is not in line with what God has to say, with Daniel, as you were saying, with what the kingdom's priorities are, then your prayer in, in, in 11, 12, and 13 will be totally out of whack with what God wants. It'll be about what you want and trying to change God rather than God trying to change you. So your kingdom come, your will be done is another way of saying your kingdom replace my kingdom, your will replace my will, um, not as I'm doing it here on earth, as you're doing it in heaven. So can heaven come down and replace uh, whatever kingdoms we have established on earth? Right. Because if you don't, then verse 11, give us today our daily bread we would end up saying prayers more along the lines of, please give me sourdough because it's my favorite and I really <laughs> want it, or whatever it might be, pretzel bread for a lot of you. So, uh, yeah, it really sets the mindset of how we approach God with our requests. I, Stephen, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there that um, verse 11 uh, is simplicity at its core. I think... I know this is probably oversaid, but this is what American Christians have such a hard time with. Um, can I genuinely ask for simplicity in my life uh, when I don't live a simple life? I live a busy life. Uh, can I really depend on God to take care of my needs or am I depending on myself? Um, perhaps this is a prayer of aspiration. God, I want to depend on your daily bread. And too often I depend on myself. I depend on my family, my work, whatever. Um, so 11, hopefully 11 becomes our spirit, but in the meantime, it's certainly an aspirational prayer. Um, I also would put this in as, uh, it's the stand in for, uh, be with the sick because give us our daily bread is give me my daily health. Uh, give me my daily shelter. It's, it's provide for my needs. So to the degree that we should pray for the sick. In, you know, James tells us to request prayers when we are sick. Um, so what would you say is the rule of thumb for uh, drawing the line between what are the daily needs that we should ask for and uh, what then falls in line with God's will being done? Um, if some, if you mentioned the sick. If it's God's will for someone to pass uh, their time has come to be with the Father, let's say. Um, how do we present those requests to God? Or do we just frame everything if Lord willing? So I, I think that we, we should frame everything Lord willing. You know, Jesus himself and at the Mount of Olives prays exactly what he wants, does not sugarcoat it at all, and then says, but not my will, but yours. But I, I, too often we go too quickly to the not my will but yours and neglect that there is a time to pray for exactly what we want. However, Jesus had lived a whole life that was exercising verses 9 and 10 uh, to where 
his his will was very much in line with what God wanted. And even still, he wanted something different to happen. So the more and more we're praying verses 9 and 10, the more our prayers will be mature. I, I think about the prayers of a child, um, myself as a child, where you pray for the things that you want. Um, God, I want this. It becomes a Santa Claus list uh, rather than a list that is transformed. Um, God, I want you to put people in my way that I can uh, tell them about Christ. God, I want you to bless my family uh, so that they would grow in the admonition of, you know, to, to serve you. Um, we can ask for things, but our prayers get recentered. Um, if, if verses nine and 10 feed into verse 11, as you said, um, how about let's go into verse 12. We, we can continue to ref, uh, reference back up and forgive us our debts as we have, have forgiven our debtors. Uh, this is the, the beginning of, uh, confession, as you mentioned earlier, Stephen, um, that, uh, He's using monetary language here, but he he is referencing the idea that we have debts that we cannot pay. Um, but in this, in the same sense that we we are forgiven those those debts, um, we also have the same obligation to go out and forgive others. Of course, it reference uh, it brings up in our own minds uh, the parable of the great debt that was forgiven. And then the person that went out and immediately requested that debt from others. So um, part of having daily bread is also having daily forgiveness. So those are very much tied to each other. There's an and in between them. Um, some people, the language is not clear uh, how this has to be interpreted. I think we, uh, Michael, you've interpreted correctly. Um, some people read this as saying, uh, you forgive me, God, um, as long as I am forgiving others. It's conditional on my ability to forgive, uh, which maybe is a, a good uh, fire below you um, to keep, keep you uh, healthy and keep you where you're forgiving others. But that's surely the wrong interpretation here, um, that God's forgiveness uh, is not contingent on anything, um, though we should always be looking to uh, increase our own ability to forgive others. Uh, in the in the final verse uh, of of the Lord's Prayer is uh, it is mystical it's spiritual it's talking it, it gets into the heavenly realms it reminds me of ephesians chapter 6 uh, verse 13 and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil um, other translations say the evil one um, so here we have uh, a very very much a realization uh, that god is uh, the deliverer from temptation God cannot tempt us, as James says, um, and that we need deliverance. There, there is, there seems to be some, uh, some way of thinking that we have an inability to get away from evil. And this is why, you know, Jesus is saying you should pray like this. Jesus himself is God. He has never sinned himself. 
Um, but at the same time, he still has to rely on God because he is tempted uh, and and has to rely on God to be delivered from evil. And so we have the same power that Jesus had to be delivered from evil in that way. Yeah, as far as a model prayer goes, this is one way that uh, we can see Christ's desire uh, being, or our desires needing to reflect what Christ do in uh, this circumstance, where uh, he recognizes that Satan um, does provide temptation and that we, if, if God can allow us to uh, be put into situations where temptation is not present, then we have a much better chance, or we fare much better in that circumstance. Um, that, I mean, that kind of gets into a whole other topic of uh, growing spiritually by going through these trials. Um, considering pure joy, help with it. So. Um, so what is the point of uh, us asking to not be put into temptation, rather that we should be resisting temptation? Is, is, do you think there's a difference there? So if part of the prayer is not ask, you know, okay, so, so we can ask God to change himself, and God, you don't lead me into these things, or it could be that we're asking God to change us. Um, God lead me to to be to be the type of person who doesn't go into temp, tempting situations. Change my heart so that I don't desire the old sins that I have been committing for so long. Um, deliver me from evil because I put myself there. Um, it's it's asking God to bring me away from desires, not that He's He's doing anything, uh, anything evil. Doesn't that take away your free will, your choice to come to God? So uh, for me to ask God to influence me, uh, to, um, to, to allow him free access to my heart uh, does require a choice on my part, but um, it's like inviting the greatest teacher, you know, teach me to play, teach me, teach me to, to make music, teach me to, um, Teach me something that I'm incapable of knowing on my own. Um, and I, I'm depending on you to be my guide, to be, you know, I'm the sheep, you're the shepherd. Um, I make stupid choices all of the time, but I still need someone to, to push me along. I, uh, I sympathize with what you're saying, Michael. I think that's probably what's going on here. It's pretty common in scripture to use this sort of backwards language of, asking God to do something um, when in reality it's uh, it's maybe more accurate to speak of God letting something happen or um, helping you do that thing. And that's pretty common in scripture. Another possible way of understanding this is lead me not into temptation is a metonymy for um, sin. Uh, temptation is the thing that often for most people praying this prayer leads to sin. And so, you're, that's a, just a, a way of referring to sin without actually saying the word sin. 
Mm -hmm. um, especially since the previous verse talked about debts and trespassing, just trying to use a variety of language. And that's why it's one of the most elegant and uh, quoted prayers of all time. Uh, if y'all don't mind, I'll know how much time we have because I don't have a clock in this room. Maybe uh, seven more minutes. So, cool. I, I think that's enough time. I, I wanted to ask y'all uh, what y'all thought about this structure of prayer. We um, Surely y'all have studied this just as much as, um, as I have in devos and Bible lessons and sermons growing up, and you've heard all about this. And often it's presented as this is how you should uh, space out your prayers, or this is how much time you should give to each uh, thing, to your thanksgiving, your praise, your supplication, your forgiveness, stuff like that. Um, but in reality, we usually don't do that. We do spend a lot more time saying thank you for things and then asking for things. Um, is that wrong that we do that? Or uh, do we need to have it even out like the, like the Lord's Prayer? Or is there a reason that our prayers look pretty different when we're praying on our own, um, going off the top of our head? What do y'all think? You know, go ahead. Just going to say that it really depends on what's on your heart. If you're coming to God in a time of, um, like you're deep in, in the pits for your spiritual walk, you're going to be praying for redemption, things like that. You're not necessarily, uh, thanking God or, um, praying for your basic needs. You're needing salvation and, uh, the deliverance that we we're talking about. So uh, it really depends on the type of prayer. But if it's a routine prayer, which hopefully you don't make routine prayers less sincere, uh, then I would hope that uh, you're giving equal time to what I, what I believe requires equal attention. Uh, is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah. So. I would say we certainly shouldn't condemn any one prayer. You know, prayer, as you were saying, prayers of desperation, that, that quick prayer that you say, God bless this conversation or uh, God give me success in what I'm about to do. Not, uh, not saying anything bad about those prayers at all. That said, um, Jesus is giving us a prayer that if we pray it often, if we pray it constantly, if it becomes a part of our life, then over time it changes us to where our prayer life matures, our prayer life grows up, um, and the way we were praying, the simplistic prayers, uh, e even when you gave us you know, a couple minutes to say a prayer, they were immature. But now, as we, as we grow, we're able to use, uh, we're able to find balance in our prayer. It's you know, five lines focused on God so that I can reflect him onto my own needs and recenter my own wants. Um, I think that this type of prayer is, is meant to change us rather than to be just, here's where you start and here's where you finish. I've been a part of, uh, I've worshiped with congregations that would have everyone together recite this prayer. Um, I've, I've, I've heard individuals from, from the stage leading the congregation, just say this prayer. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's probably a good thing to do every once in a while. Um, 
but it, it is made to, to make it, it, it's, I think Jesus put it this way to help us think about what it means to pray, what it means to talk to our Father. For, for the last few minutes that we have here, um, our topic tonight is, is how do you pray? What are some other ways to help us grow in our own prayer life? Other than reading these you know, f- uh, five verses, how else can I grow? What are some advice uh, that you all have for um, other people who are thinking about improving their prayer life? I would say uh, meditation is something that uh, God has revealed to us as a, a method of communication where you are meditating, um, even if it's just repetitious uh, speaking or thinking of uh, God's word and letting that actually sink into your heart and into your uh, your mindset and whatever effect that might have on you. But meditation, spending time in quiet uh, where you're giving God that time and putting away whatever distractions uh, that would be a hindrance to you uh, during your regular routine prayers. That's a, That's good advice. Um, my, my prayer life is probably not great, so, uh, you shouldn't listen to any advice I give, but I was thinking during this discussion that, um, a good habit to build based on the Lord's prayer is to try and make all of your language, uh, use God as the subject. We see that, especially in those first couple verses that we were looking at, where you're asking, uh, God, you, um, make your, bring your kingdom here to earth. Your will be done. And we talked about how that really does apply to us and how we live. Um, but I think when we're trying to pray or working on uh, making less selfless or uh, more selfless prayers, then then we need to try to use the language that is focused on God rather than ourselves. And I think that's just a a simple practice or discipline that anyone can work on that will help us be more selfless in our prayer. Michael, what do you think? Sure. Uh, So let me, let me give it uh, an analogy here. Um, Daniel, you're, you're a very good writer. Um, I think one of the ways that I've, seen you talk about growing as a writer is reading really good writers. Um, I think you've even, re- you've, uh, you've recommended Stephen King's book. Is it called on writing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen, you're, you're an excellent soccer player coach. Uh, you, you know the game well. And one of the reasons you know it so well is because you've watched hours of it and, you know, not just the greatest player, but you watch all sorts of players that play in all sorts of styles. Um, I would hope that if you were wanting to improve your prayer life, that you listen to other people praying. Certainly you go to Jesus and you, you read his prayers and you see how Jesus prayed. You know, you read all of the, um, the high priestly prayers from, from John. You know, there's, there's many places where we can see Jesus praying. We go to the Psalms 
And I think sometimes, especially within churches of Christ, we are told from a young age to make make your own prayers. You say your prayers because it's a personal relationship with God. But at the same time, it's not a bad thing to every once in a while pray someone else's prayer. Let someone else give the words for your prayer. We do this in congregational settings all the time where someone leads in prayer and we're supposed to adopt that prayer. Um, read, uh, read the book of common prayer. Read the Psalms. Uh, find books on, on prayer. Um, uh, Philip Yancey has a good book on prayer. Uh, Stephen knew this was coming. Tim Keller has a good book on prayer. Um, th these are things that we can read to help us think through how can I systematically improve my prayer life while at the same time not removing the personal connection that we have there. So um, with that said, uh, we've said this in, in times past before. Uh, I think we said this with our uh, How to Read the Bible podcast. The best way to pray is whatever way will get you praying. Um, if you're if you're praying zero times a day, pray at least one time a day on the margin. Pray more in your life, um, and God can work through those incremental changes. So, uh, with that said, blessings on all of our our listeners as all of us, including the host today, seek to improve our own prayer lives. So we appreciate everyone listening to the podcast this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week.